1: Hello and welcome to the Friday morning sporting edition of Pacific Beats. I'm Richard Ewart. It's coming up excitement ahead of the Prime Minister's 13s clash in Port Moresby. not least from the new Cummels coach, Justin Holbrook.
2: I just wanted to get my real enjoyment back in coaching and wanted to, I guess, make a difference. And when I come up for the grand final, I could just see the passion in, in the people up here and the players. Yeah, I'm just really excited to be part of the PM's game this weekend and the Pacific Test coming up.
1: New tour, Samoa head coach Ben Gardner quick to focus on getting the culture right in the camp. He's brought in coaching
3: staff and other staff with Samoan heritage, people that have played for Samoa, been involved with Samoa over a long period of time. I think the Samoan Rugby League have done a really good job in identifying people with connections to Samoa and then having Ben with his experience and his connection heading it
1: up. And Netball Australia pledges to continue its investment in Samoa and help them climb the world rankings.
4: We've invested in not only promoting netball in the Pacific, but promoting it all around the world. But we do have a passion for the Pacific, and we do want to really concentrate on them and make them a powerhouse.
1: More to come from Netball Australia's Kim Bailey on her recent coaching mission to Samoa later in the program. We start, though, with the Rugby World Cup and Mano Samoa will be the next of the Pacific teams in action over the weekend when they take on Argentina. The Pumas are ranked just one place above the Mano in tenth on the world ladder, but while they lost their opening match to England, Samoa won theirs comfortably against Chile. So a win over the South Americans could see the Samoans well on their way to the knockout stage for the first time in nearly 20 years. Meanwhile, in Auckland, Samoa's women's team Manusina will be taking on a New Zealand development side ahead of their trip to South Africa for the first ever W15 Tier 2 tournament. Coach Ramsey Tomokino offers his thoughts on that match and a new fundraising drive by Lakapi Samoa in a moment. But first, his take on the Manu versus the Pumas, a game he believes will be pivotal in Samoa's pool.
5: Oh, absolutely. You'd think that if they get the Argentina game, there's certainly a very good chance to, to make it through to the quarters. Argentina and Japan will still have to play. And it could be just one of those pools that just comes down to points for and against and who's beat who. Because I think in any in that pool, anyone's capable of beating anybody. England, they've had two good ones. They've secured their quarterfinal spot, but that second spot. So the results this weekend
1: are certainly wide open. And with your connections with Moana Pacifica and the number of players that are involved with, with the Manu squad, I think we always knew it was going to take a little time for the squad to gel with the players coming in, of course, who qualified under the eligibility rules. Christian Leo Lefano, for example, who started last week. Limo Sapuanga is on the bench and injured, I gather, so he, he won't figure, sadly, this week. But to bring all these different players together has not been easy. But the signs are encouraging, aren't they?
5: It's never easy bringing players from all parts. They've had what I consider a decent build-up, you know, with um, time together with the Pacific Nations Cup, etc. You know, hopefully they've been building to this point in, in the scheme of things. This game is absolutely pivotal in um, their aspirations uh, to, to make the quarterfinals, which we haven't been to since '95, I didn't realise that Limo sopongo was out. That's a real blow because I thought he was actually, um, just in uh, the games that he has played, he's actually been quite influential at 10 the <laughs> Uh, certainly we don't lose anything in Christian Lelie funnel, and you know, and he's the ultimate athlete for me uh, in terms of just how he is as a player on and off the field and I often remind him that he's the national treasure of Wana Pacifica <laughs> he's just such an inspiration to the young players coming through, just a professional athlete, he's just such the loveliest guy and so you know, if he's got the reins at 10, I've got um, no qualms here with him being able to dictate play and his kicking was superb last week as well and that could be a telling factor in this game also as it comes down to penalties and that- but it's never easy pulling team together but I think you know if anything we've seen um Super Rugby and Wana Pacifica and the players' involvement in there and all the other key professionals from other clubs and that uh, certainly helps build a stronger Manus team, for sure.
1: Now, that's happening on the other side of the world and a lot of eyes obviously are going to be on that from Samoa, but there's another big game which you're very closely involved in this weekend with Manusina taking on the New Zealand uh, Black Ferns, uh, a build-up match to the inaugural uh, W15 Championship coming up in October and uh, of course Manusina are building now on that victory over Fiji that got them into tier 2 of this competition in the first place that will start against the USA so How important is this game for you as coach and for the team? What what do they need to do in this match to get the right momentum?
5: We've just got together this week on Monday. We've simplified things for this week, um, but everything is about building towards getting on the plane in South Africa next Saturday. And then we have a second warm-up match against South Africa. So we're giving players an opportunity that we haven't seen. We've got some new players in. The game is very important in terms of just laying a foundation for us as we head into WXV, because certainly we want a good showing there as well. And I'm sure it'll be a tough game, but... I believe we're up to it. You know, we've got to keep knocking and taking these opportunities and winning the games like this that might come up and then, you know, maybe we'll earn the right to play the full Black Ferns team and, you know, the Wallaroos might give us opportunity again in the future and just um, opens the door to us being competitive and having better opportunities. And ultimately, our goal would be that we do have a someone base side in Super W. So that's why we've got to perform really well in these. So it's, it's really important. It's important for our momentum and build up as we head into South Africa.
6: Just to
1: pick up on that point about the Black Ferns This won't be New Zealand's first choice 15, but any New Zealand team is going to be tough. And this will be, I presume, younger players who want to prove that they're good enough to play in that first choice team.
5: Oh, absolutely like they've been identified as up and coming players and Whitney Hanson's a smart coach I'm expecting they'll be very creative in the way they want to play the game and hopefully we've done enough this week to go out there and perform and have a good result you know it's a, a different team to Oceania the core and the nucleus is still there hopefully uh, we can get it together and put a good performance on the field for not only for our team but for you know for Samoa for our friends and families
1: in the background, we know it's tough for the Pacific teams financially. Heaven knows how much it's costing to send the team to the World Cup and then sending Manos to South Africa for the W15 Championship. So now comes this new fundraising drive to support both the men's and the women's national sides. I'm just wondering about the timing of it. I guess it, it's got to be good if you can raise additional funds, but why now? Shouldn't it have happened a bit sooner?
5: Oh, they've actually tried something sooner and uh, World Rugby comes to the party in terms of um, you know some funding for certain specific specific things and it certainly helps. I'm aware that we haven't had the same level of support through sponsorship and other funding that hasn't come through so you know we're really relying on the love and support of our people and it's not only the 15s it's the 7s and uh, if I just take Manusino as a snapshot we still don't have a front of the jersey sponsor and yet we've got five games that will be televised live. You know even I've been involved in trying to find sponsors and a number of us as well and uh, the union are doing their bit and it's just the well is drawing up some What it's about trying to replenish that. I know the timing probably might not seem great, but we've got there's just a lot of campaigns going on, and it just allows us to be able to do that little bit extra for the girls in terms of you know being able to help them financially. We're amateurs, a lot of our players having to say leave without pay and all that kind of stuff, and you know we do give them allowance, but you know if we can help them in other areas, we've had a player having to withdraw because. She can't give up work can't do leave without pay so those are our challenges never easy asking for money and I'm sure if we had a better way we wouldn't have to do it but unfortunately sometimes it's what we have to do
1: Yeah, the financial plight of the Pacific Rugby Unions in stark contrast to some of the teams that they're currently involved with in international tournaments Sir Ramsey Tomokino Coach of Manasina Samoa they play the New Zealand Black Ferns Development Squad in Auckland tomorrow before heading to South Africa to take on the host nation, uh, USA and Japan, in the inaugural W15 Tier 2 Championship. But first up this weekend, it will be the Mano in action against Argentina at the World Cup. That's at 4.45am Apia time tomorrow morning. And then on Monday morning, it's Tonga versus Scotland at 4.45am Nukualofa time. And no doubt, Fijian fans will be keeping a very close eye on Wales versus Australia when that that match kicks off at 7am Suva time again on Monday morning. You're hey, with Pacific Beats. I'm Richard Hewitt and it's the Friday morning sporting edition and until two weeks ago, Justin Holbrook had never been to Papua New Guinea but he flew in to watch the Digicel Cup Grand Final and he liked what he saw. The passion and enthusiasm in PG rugby league circles have been key factors in attracting the former Gold Coast Titans coach to take on the role as the Kummel's head coach. And tomorrow, he takes charge of a PG men's team for the first time, leading the Prime Minister's 13 against their Australian counterparts at the National Football Stadium in Port Moresby. Since the fixture was first played in 2005, PG have never won and managed just one draw against the Australians. As a result of Covid and a switch to Fiji in 2019, the game hasn't been played in front of the fanatical PNG fans for several years. But now it's back and the Kummels' new coach says the focus of the game for him is on development and giving fringe players a go ahead of the Pacific Championship Test matches against Cook Islands and Fiji next
2: month. Absolutely, you're spot on and I guess, yeah, look, we'd love to win but we're also well aware, you know, the Australians are obviously a, a very classy side but yeah, to answer your question I, I agree with what you're saying, it's given a lot of guys a great opportunity to to play against Australia and for us with it been sort of on and off and moved around, it's the first time since I think 2018 that the game's been played here in PNG so it's a real thrill for the, for the boys that are in it, obviously we'll play a Pacific Test Series starting in a few weeks but we'll have a a number of players come over from the UK that have been playing Super League and, and then probably another five or six out of players that are unavailable for this game. So it gives the local guys and a lot of the guys here that are playing Queensland Cup a real opportunity to, to, I guess, press their claims to try and be in the side in the Pacific Test.
1: I'm wondering how much of a say you had in selecting the side. The, the, the reason I asked that is because, of course, you're very new to the job and I, I'm thinking you might have had to rely on other people for advice in, in terms of particularly the local players.
2: Oh, definitely. Um, and that's why we sort of had a, a little sort of sub Committee in the selection. Um, obviously, Johnny who has been involved with the Kummels for a long time, and he, he knows all the players. Paulie Eighton, assistant coach. So, you know, I, I called on on those guys heavily, in particular off the the guys that have been in camp before, and obviously from the from the World Cup last year, who who was available, who impressed. And so, yeah, I definitely um, you know spoke to a, a few people that have more more knowledge of the players than myself. That's for sure. And a bit easier when when we pick the side for the Pacific Test because that's when you're talking about the likes of you know, Xavier Coates, Justin Olam, Alex Johnson, guys like that. So obviously I'm well aware of them. But in terms of the, the local guys, which is great, that's why we've given um, Gary James, who was the Sell Cup Player of the Year and, um, won the competition and, and as I said, I come up for the grand final with uh, the, the Anger Meox. so he's he's going to play. So that's a huge um, achievement for him to you know be playing um, against the Prime Minister's thirteen from, from Australia. So yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a mixed side from our end, um, but you know the boys are coming together well this week.
1: Not so very long ago, of course, you, you were coaching the, the Titans uh, in the NRL. H- having yep. left the Titans, w- what was it that persuaded you that the P&G job was the right thing for you to go to next?
2: Yeah, it was – um, you know, I sort of had a, a bit of a think about it. Once I sort of had a few chats to the CEO in particular and, and just knowing – how fast the game's growing up here, um, and I just wanted to get my real enjoyment back in coaching, and wanted to, I guess, make a difference. And when I come up for of the grand final, I could just see the passion in in the in the people up here and and the players. And I thought, you know, I could really just like to to try and help that process along. And um, you just want to sort of feel valued where you're coaching. Um, everyone up here's been real appreciative that uh, that I've you know going to be the head coach. P and G, so it's a real. I guess enjoyment factor from my point of view that you sort of, you know, you feel appreciated, which is for what you want. You want to make a difference as well. So uh, if I can do that, I'll be very happy. But yeah, I'm just really excited um, to to be part of. Obviously, the PM's game this weekend, and and obviously the the Pacific Test coming up. And
1: there is, of course, the the prospect of a PNG team being admitted to the NRL. That's certainly what they would like in PNG, and then the Australian government is backing that move. I mean, is that one of the reasons also why you'd like to be involved to, to help that process along? And who knows, maybe coach that NRL team if it becomes a reality.
2: Yeah, well, I haven't given that a lot of thought. I think it's exciting for the game that, that they're looking closely at, at PNGs as being one of the future expand. Expansion teams to to join the NRL. I think that's great. I just want to play my part in in their process now and improving and doing a good job against the Aussie Saturday, um, doing a good job in the in the Pacific Test series, and then we just want to. Fast track the, the I guess the junior development is the biggest area they got to get right up here. You know, I talked to a number of players the other night, and you know, a lot of them don't start playing rugby league till 16, 17, 18 years of age. We've got to change that. They've got to be playing it, you know, under eights and things like that, and got to get them into schools a lot quicker playing playing rugby league. So because the players here, they do a phenomenal job to play at the high level they're at when they're not really starting playing till they're 18. So that's a, a phenomenal effort. Um, I think Justin Owen didn't play until he was 21 or something. And you just think, wow, like for the guys in obviously Australia, New Zealand, England, places like that, you know, you can play at sort of six, seven years of age. And so we just want to try and, um, you know, make sure up here that, that, that they're able to play at a younger age because um, it's just going to help them develop and, and be better players a lot quicker.
1: Yeah, quite extraordinary that uh, the, the grassroots are not quite right really as far as rugby league is concerned in Papua New Guinea just at the moment. But uh, the new Cornwalls coach will lead the Prime Minister's 13 tomorrow. Justin Holbrook they're keen to put things right. He will take the reins for the first time tomorrow when he leads that Prime Minister's 13 against their Australian counterparts in Port Moresby. And the PNG women will be in action too against their Australian opposite numbers uh, with Ben Jeffries confirmed as their coach.
7: In the Falle is a brand new music show on ABC Radio Australia. Hosted by me, Paola Tukefi. I'll be spinning my favourite tunes from dancehall to disco, calypso to country, reggae to roots, and hip-hop to house music. From across the era to keep the kids and the aunties happy. If it has a pumping groove, I'll be bringing it to you to bump you into the weekend. In the Falle, Fridays at 4pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia.
1: Hold the front page! And it's time on Pacific Beat this Friday morning to take a look at some of the stories uh, making headlines across the region. And uh, Kyle Evans is here to bring us up to date. Good morning, Kyle. Good
8: morning to you, Richard.
1: Uh, Fiji, first of all, uh, sent a delegation to Israel, this ahead uh, of Fiji's planned embassy opening in
8: that country in 2024. So what's on the agenda? Yeah, so uh, Deputy Prime Minister Voka will lead the delegation, uh, showing he's very much intent on fulfilling that election promise of opening an embassy in 2024. So according to Reuters, uh, they will travel on a specially chartered Fiji Airways flight uh, to attend the Festival of uh, Tabernacles. Um, which runs from September 29 to October 6. Um, That, I understand, is a Jewish holiday, which celebrates the third great annual pilgrimage festival. However, according to research I've done online, it does draw thousands of Christians uh, every year. So, yeah, big event for them. And uh, this obviously follows an allocation of funding uh, for an embassy uh, in Israel that, uh, that Fiji allocated during its national budget last year. Uh, we've seen uh, countries move the location
1: of their embassy uh, to Jerusalem, controversially it has to be said. Is this what Fiji's likely to do?
8: Yeah, look, very much the case. Uh, Bill Gavoka actually wrote on social media last month that he had made the location of the embassy in Jerusalem a non-negotiable matter in its coalition agreement with Sidovani Rambuka in the lead-up to that election. Uh, in fact, the Fiji Times actually reported last month that Israel has even offered financial help. If they build the embassy uh, in Jerusalem as well, meaning it won't it won't cost Fiji as much money as it otherwise would have, and uh, and look, yeah, like you said, this of course follows um, the opening of a PNG embassy in Jerusalem a couple of weeks back, as well as a number of other countries who've uh, who've somewhat controversially, like you said, moved their uh, embassy to Jerusalem as well. Yes, uh, Australia had plans, didn't they? And then the uh, mm. government, or the <laughs>
1: change of government, change of mind. Now, uh, the Australian Defence Force, uh, they're
8: leading a multinational team to Nauru on a bit of a bomb hunt, really. So tell us more. That's right. So a team of explosive ordnance experts was deployed to Nauru to do a survey uh, of reported World War II explosive remnants that, that are at risk of disposal in the country. So uh, members of the ADF, they were invited by the Nauru government. However, they were joined by a team of Solomon Islands police, uh, as well as members from the New Zealand Army and US Marine Corps. Uh, observers from Korea, as well as French armed forces in New Caledonia also took part as well. So, yeah, very much a, a multinational line. Um, All up the operation, in the operation, they identified 10 explosive remnants. Uh, They included six projectiles, so like missiles and whatnot. Uh, There was one bomb and three fuse systems. So now that they've been located, they've now been mapped out, and that will allow technicians to plan for their uh, safe disposal at a, uh, at a later date. And, uh, and this, of course, follows the identification of that massive 500 pound uh, Mark 12 bomb that uh, technicians thankfully disposed of uh, back uh, in July. So it's still very much a, a hot zone in some areas, but good to see that they're, uh, they're, they're, they're cleaning it up. Yeah, they, they got round to it eventually. Yeah, only I, I think the war ended a little <laughs> while ago, didn't it?
1: Yeah. So, so just as well that uh, nobody's been hurt with those uh, remnants still on Nauru. Solomon Islands, of course, has a very similar and much bigger problem. Uh, Now, to a sporting
8: matter, uh, surfing, big time surfing set to return to Fiji. That's right. The World Surf League Championship Tour will return to Fiji in August next year. So it comes following an announcement from the Ministry of Tourism and Civil Aviation that Fiji uh, will be a part of the WSL Tour for the next three years, meaning that for the first time since 2017, the top 24 men and 12 women uh, will return to Cloudbreak. It will be meaningful as well in the sense that it will mark the last stop on the schedule uh, and will be the last event to help decide the WSL final five ahead of the uh, one day WSL finals, which ultimately decides on the uh, 2024 world champions. So uh, yeah, exciting stuff. So it's good to see that competition
1: uh, back in the Pacific. Of course, we've got uh, the Olympic surfing competition in Tahiti next year. But as far as this Fiji situation is concerned, there are other benefits, I think, besides the competition itself.
8: Yeah, 100%. Uh, um, acting PM Bill, v- uh, Bill Gavoka uh, he said it not only highlights Fiji as a premier surfing destination, but also opens up opportunities for surfers to um, to relish, arguably, the, uh, the best surf breaks uh, in the world. I think there's probably another uh, number of countries who would... Uh, um, who would dispute that? But uh, the legend Kelly Slater himself uh, has even commented. Um, he, he won the event there a record four times, and he said surfers all over the world who have toured Fiji have been missing it, and uh, and everybody who never got the chance to surf it is uh, so excited to now have the chance that uh, they'll get to do so. And uh, and yeah, to cap off, Fiji joins the CT schedule alongside countries such as U- the United States, Portugal, Australia, French Polynesia, El Salvador, and uh, and Brazil. So it's uh, yeah, it sounds like a, a hell of a world tour. So you're going to book a trip? Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. One thing I will be doing this weekend, I'll be finding out where I can uh wh- which Australian broadcasters are going to be broadcasting the uh the, the Prime Minister's 13. I'm really keen to uh to watch that if possible. Yeah. I think that will be uh, an interesting
1: game. Uh, it's it's good to see the local guys getting a go as happens uh, on this occasion and uh, yeah, one or two of them might force their way into the Cumul side for the Matches to come against Fiji and Cook Islands next month. We shall see. Carl, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Richard. You're with Pacific Beat for a Friday morning. I'm Richard Ewart, And uh, more on rugby league now because the new coach of Toa Samoa has already taken steps to ensure there is a strong Samoan culture within the camp when the players gather for matches against Australia and New Zealand in the new Pacific Championship next month seven of Ben Gardner's backroom team are of Samoan heritage and include three former captains right now he's focused on his role as assistant coach at Penrith Panthers who have their eyes on another NRL premiership but when he takes the reins of the Samoan national side next month NRL.com senior reporter Brad Walter says he's sure Gardner will prove to be a terrific appointment
3: Ben's been around the game for a long time he's had a lot of experience at NRL level as an assistant coach but also he's been involved in the international game and rep representative rugby league for a while he's the current maori all-stars coach he was an assistant coach to david kidwell with that team for a number of years and he's been involved with new zealand stretching back to the 2017 world cup again with david kidwell and then with michael mcguire ever since so he's certainly a well credentialed coach he understands what's involved in representative camps he's currently at the penrith panthers and has a close connection with the penrith players who pretty much make up the nucleus of the samoa side so he ticks a lot of boxes both his own ability what he's achieved and the experience and that he's got, but also then the connection with the players.
1: It's going to be something of a baptism of fire for him, isn't it, though? I mean, at the moment, uh, he will be concentrating on, on the Panthers and their bid to win the NRL Premiership. But w- once that's out of the way, I guess he turns his attention to Samoa and just in a few weeks' time, they take on Australia and New Zealand in the new Pacific uh, Championship. Uh, and the fans will be expecting big things after the World Cup last year. So no pressure.
3: Yeah, no pressure, but the main thing will be that Samoa remains competitive. Ben doesn't have a long time to prepare these players, but he's got a lot of coaching staff around him who will be already talking to players and planning and preparing for those sort of things, and then the players will come into camp. But I think the key really is building on what they did last year, not necessarily to beat Australia or New Zealand, but to be competitive. Also build towards the next World Cup in 2026 and ensure that the big-name players, not just the ones that played at the World Cup, but others that are in the NRL with Samoan heritage, that they want to play for Samoa, and that Samoa could actually get stronger.
1: You mentioned... The cultural connections and, and that was a, a big point of debate in, in the build-up to the last World Cup and it was suggested that the previous coach Matt Parrish perhaps didn't have some of the players on side well what happened at the World Cup would tend to suggest that wasn't the case or if it was a problem he certainly sorted it out but Ben Gardner clearly as you've indicated I mean he, he has insight into these players he knows a lot of these players pretty well and, and you would think that would be ideal for him to, to build the kind of relationship that he needs to with the Samoan squad as a whole
3: absolutely and he's Brought in coaching staff and other staff with Samoan and heritage uh, people that have played for Samoa, been involved with Samoa before over a long period of time. The likes of Nigel Bungana, Tony Pulotua, Willie Poching, they are all going to be like involved in the coaching and team management side. There, you know, those guys have captained Samoa. They feel really strong about their heritage. They've all been involved in rugby league at the highest level. So he's got really good people there who will be able to ensure that the connection between culture and performance is really strong. Yeah, so I think that the coaching staff headed by Ben Garden, I think the Samoan Rugby League have done a really good job in identifying people with connections to Samoa, with with Samoan heritage uh, where possible, and then and then having someone like you know Ben with his experience and his connection heading it up.
1: And the other big appointment uh, affects the Samoan women's team, uh, Jamie Saad, who of course already holds down a job in the NRLW, has been given that task. Uh, are they going to be as it were the next cab off the rank, do you think, in Women's Rugby League to really start developing into a strong team under his tutelage?
3: I think that's absolutely where the women's game is headed now. The Pacific Nations are going to rise in the same way and strengthen in the same way as the men. We've seen particularly with Tonga and Samoa and Fiji in the men's and I think that's going to happen now with the women's teams. An NRLW coach in Jamie Soward he's had three seasons now with the Dragons. He took them to a grand final last year. I thought he did a pretty good job with a young squad this season. And there are a lot of Samoan players, speaking to Jamie, he said he's identified at least 40 players with Samoan heritage in the NRLW. And I think we're going to see some big name players in that squad. And again, the idea is that Women's Rugby League in the, amongst the Pacific Nations is going to start to build. They're going to play regular games at the end of the season and the aim again is for those teams to get into the World Cup and to be competitive and no doubt they will and this is really just the start. To a point someone like Jamie is great. I know that Frank Pritchard is going to help him out former Samoan captain who was involved in the men's team in the past so there'll be that cultural connection as well which, which is really important but I think yeah we're going to see some strong Pacific Nations women's teams emerge in the next couple of seasons and and it'll be a bit like, you know, what's occurred with the men's teams.
1: Brad Walter from NRL.com reflecting on the appointments of Jamie Soward as the new coach of Samoa's National Women's Rugby League team. And Ben Gardner, he'll be the person in charge of the men's team.
0: Join me, Sosafina Formoli, for On The Record, an hour-long deep dive into the music that has made an incredible range of artists from right across the Pacific. We'll discover stories behind songs of inspiration, songs of activism, songs of evolution and songs of pride as we chop it up with Pacifica musicians you already know and love and hopefully some you'll be meeting and falling in love with for the first time. On The Record, Tuesdays at 4 o'clock PNG time on ABC Radio Australia.
1: Now on the Pacific Beat Sports show back in March, we told you about the push to establish a national soccer team in Marshall Islands, the last nation on earth without one. We met Lloyd Owens, the English coach who'd taken on the role of technical director and even before setting foot in the Marshalls, he'd begun the task of building soccer's presence in the country from the ground up. Since then, Lloyd has made the long trip to the islands to see for himself the scale of the task he's taken on. So what did he make of the country and can that dream of a national team taking to the field in Marshall Islands? Colours become a reality. Uh, Lloyd joins us live from the UK. Uh, good evening to you. Thanks for your time.
7: Oh, honestly, thank you for having me. So much appreciated.
1: So you've had a bit of time now to reflect on what was a bit of a bumpy old trip to Marshall Islands. I think it, <laughs> it, it wasn't easy to get there. But what, once you made it, what did you find and what do you make of the task now that you've seen that the reality, as it were?
7: Um, I've got to be honest. I think it's one of those ones where we thought it's going to be difficult to do. And obviously, that you know, that's obvious for everyone. But when you were there, it's you realize how humble everyone was how grateful everyone was but also how willing people are to push the sport and i think that was overwhelming because for us we were expecting you know maybe 10 15 kids to sessions we had 30 we were expecting maybe 20 that's uh, right 10 uh, men to turn up to the men's session we had 22 um And it was like coach education. We ran a a coach education workshop. I expected five people based on the the returns of forms and stuff like that. we had 23. And it was like realisation that, you know, this could actually work. And within a really short space of time, we managed to get the sessions running regularly, which now take place uh, twice a week for for kids with twice a week for adults, including a men's league now, which has started and is growing week on week. Um, So we have 28. Uh, adults playing every twice a week every week now the biggest task for us at the moment is going to be that the growing the female game but yeah honestly it's it's been amazing so far and a real eye-opener to how important it's going to be to to grow it
1: so working with those players and with those coaches who as you say turned up in greater numbers that than you anticipated i mean what did you find? What, what, what's the skill level? How much work is there to be done? And, and, and how quickly could the game grow in Marshalls, essentially fr- from ground zero, really?
7: Yeah, yeah. So it really is ground zero. They, you know, the sessions we were putting on were uh, loosely the basis of the first ones in the country. People have played it informally. They have a kickabout and that's it, that is it. Like That is the structure so far or was the structure. Uh, And now we have that structure in place. We have sessions every Wednesday, every Saturday, kids and and adults. But in terms of the skill levels, um, we're quite fortunate in the sense of there's a a lot of um, different nations, different um, background levels of of playing the game anyway. So we have a lot of people from the Solomon Islands, a lot of people from Kiribati that live in Papua New Guinea as well, that live in uh, the Marshall Islands. And those guys playing is inspiring other people to play now. And they're almost being that, that catalyst to drive it even further. So in terms of growing it to the next level, um, I'm, I'm really hopeful that it could actually take off a lot quicker than th- we planned. So originally it was really a, an open-ended question, when can we play games? And now that we've actually got a futsal league that's playing weekly, we have, like I said, regular kids that are playing that gives us hope that it's, it's going to happen a lot sooner, and the actual uh, realization that next summer we're going to have a tournament in some form is is amazing for us, uh, and that's going to come in the form of a Pacific competition with a few other nations in the region, um, also unrecognized by confederations, which is a massive boost for that whole region as well. So that's amazing for us. It gives us opportunity to go and play nationally, but in reality, that's then from zero sport. Uh, to, to having a national team in 17 months. And that's quite, a, it sounds long, but in the grand scheme of things, it's quite an important step for us.
1: There is, it seems to me, an inherent risk in all this. I mean, my, my mind goes back to the Pacific Games in Port Moresby when uh, uh, Micronesia fielded a team and uh, it was calamitous. A uh, bunch of kids yeah, essentially yeah. taking on adult males and they were hammered by 30, 40 goals. I mean, that, that that's something clearly... That, that you have to avoid. I mean, as and when this national side takes to the field, whenever that might be, you, you've got to give them a chance really, haven't you?
7: <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing about finding a balance to it. Realistically, we are going to have very young squads because um, one, they're the people that are wanting to play it anyway. And two, they're the people that are going to be the future of the sport. Um, taking it back to, like you said, that, you know, the, those games where FSM were, were really struggling um I think the problem with that was the organization of it in terms of it was just loosely deemed that yeah they'll be fine they'll be fine and fortunately I speak quite regularly to one of the guys involved with F- FSM now and the ap- approach even there is is a lot different um in the sense of there is a new board there was a new structure and a realization of these other guys take it seriously we need to do the same so for us there's a lot of Marshallese uh Descendancy in the US We have players that play In the US uh, university Level, uh, university system That are Marshallese Or uh, like Marshallese descent And fortunately you know they're, they're wanting to be a part of this program long term So for next summer for example In terms of a futsal tournament We aim to combine those guys with the locals As well to have the opportunity to give Marshallese players wherever they are The opportunity to play And hopefully that then strengthens the the squad And the opportunities that we can have to be competitive
1: now you started this whole process by as it were directing events remotely from from the UK and then that's that's where you are now but I mean have things changed since you actually saw what's happening on the ground in Marshall Islands have you changed your style your technique how you're organizing things
7: um to be honest I I don't think so overly purely because the structures that we'd created originally were based on local cultures and discussions that I'd had with people on the islands itself so for example like the playing styles combined my ideals to play in the game but also and and what I felt was going to be suitable to the to the nation in terms of space and size available but also combining that with like cultural beliefs for, for for the nation so they can buy into it a little bit more and then when when I was there to see it, those cultural beliefs really really stood out. So it was a couple you know that togetherness, that feel of uh, community, but also realising that basketball is massive in the in Marshall Islands. So utilising those basketball techniques, those basketball feel feels to the game can 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 to can go into football quite well and. For us, it's very small sided games based. It's very futsal based in the sense of growing outwards and then building into 11 aside from that based on that. And if they can grasp you know, growing up playing basketball and they work those basic tactics of attacking, defending that can apply to this game as well. And that's how we want to structure it and combine that passion for that as well. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's, it's definitely going in the right direction. And I would like to like to think that what we put in place from the early days is still going on now as well.
1: What about facilities? Uh, They are in short supply, and I think that's an understatement in Marshall Islands. I mean, what is likely to happen in in the months and years ahead on that front?
7: Um, So the main focus is going to be Majuro, uh, the main island. Uh, And there, like I said, in terms of using foot as the main focus, we can use a lot of basketball courts, and every little community you go to, there are basketball courts to use. In terms of more elite pathways further down the line, um, there is a a brand new facility being developed, which is nearly completed now, uh, which is an indoor sport facility. It's going to host loads of indoor sports, one of them being futsal. Um, The other one as well is for the 11 a side game in the form of the new track and field stadium, which was due for completion this year. but It's now going to be next year. But that's, uh, you know, it's going to be a home of athletics for the country, home of bike, baseball, but also in terms of us, it's going to be a home of, of football as well, and we can use that facility. So we have those options. Other islands, it's going to be a lot harder, just because it's so uh, dens- densely populated. But that's a long-term aim. Short-term to medium-term, what we'll do is main focus is growing out on, on Majuro and uh, and getting the communities on the island there to play, and we can do that.
1: Is there any sort of time scale on this project as a whole, any particular deadlines, or is this really a kind of wait and see situation that you find yourself in the moment and just see essentially where it takes you?
7: Um, I would say that initially, it was a case of, let's just see where it takes us. Because you know we're solely reliant on donations and funding. We're not part of OFC or AFC. or We're not, you know, we're not Confederation members, we're not FIFA members. We don't have that pool and that pot of funding to come to us. So that means that sometimes we are limited on what you can do, and that then affects some of the projects that we want to be able to do in terms of that. But what we are getting is a lot more uh, awareness from potential donors, potential sponsors. Um, and because of that then it gives us a bit more realism to actually achieve deadlines so for example you know we want to be confederation members at some stage and if we can do that within a couple of years that would be amazing but we're working on that basis of getting our own things sorted first and then we can go to a confederation and say look this is what we've got this is what we're doing now can you help us and what with that the deadlines that we're only we're setting for ourselves then so you know we want we have the national games next summer but we want to make sure that. We have a regular uh, compete, regularly competing futsal league. We want to build opportunities to grow into 11 v 11. We want to get more female participants. And the big one for us at the moment is the government have signed off for us to have a uh, the school curriculum we've, we've created put in, into the schools nationally. So kids are now going to grow up playing the game. So that was one of the deadlines we wanted to achieve, and we've achieved that. So now it's the next step, which is... Um, just making sure that the league continues to grow, 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 and then that builds into next summer. Once we've got that, then we can start to push on to, yeah, two years confederation membership. Really, year and a half maybe that would be the ideal.
1: So it's a uh, case of so far so good. Uh, thank you so much for ta- <laughs> talking to us on Pacific Beat. Congratulations on what you've achieved so far, and we, we look forward to what happens in the months and years ahead.
7: No, yeah, thank you for having me on. We'll just give one quick plug if that's all right, because it was a good Please time do. to speak yeah it's a good time to speak because um our kit launched uh, on tuesday this week our first ever national jerseys so um if anyone wants to get out there and help us all the proceeds go towards the project itself so uh, any any sales any purchases are, are hugely hugely welcome
1: Yes, and I know be, they will be very popular via the internet and via Twitter and the like, that's for sure. So, yeah, jump on board and get a Marshall Islands shirt. Why not? Lloyd, <laughs> thank you once again for joining us from the UK and we wish you every success. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Lloyd Ours is Technical Director for Soccer in Marshall Islands and uh, as you heard, it's starting from ground zero but they're already making steady progress and maybe not too long before that national team takes to the fields. With Pacific Beat and the Friday morning sporting edition. I'm Richard Ewart, and uh, while the Tongatala Grabbed all the attention for the Pacific at the recent Netball World Cup where the best ever performance for the first time since 1991, Samoa were absent, having failed to qualify for the big event. So now Netball Samoa is focused on rebuilding and closing the gap with Tonga as they make a push to be there at the next World Cup. As Marion Fire reports, part of that process involves Samoa continuing to forge their relationship with Pacific Old Sports and Netball Australia.
0: For more than a week, Netball Samoa played host to eight players from Australia's Super Netball champions, the Adelaide Thunderbirds, and Netball Australia's workforce development manager, Kim Bailey. The visitors toured Apollo and Savaii, visiting schools and staging a series of masterclasses for players of all ages and coaches. And Netball Samoa's Chief Executive, Rosemary Lome, says the impact has been huge.
6: You just need to see the faces on some of the young players. I think one of the things is that they can't believe how tall the Australian players are, which goes to Sharia, we're a very short nation. Uh, <laughs> but it's been absolutely wonderful having them here and we're just hoping that through our partnership with Netball Australia and the Government of Australia that we would be able to have more teams come and visit, which will help to inspire and grow our game in Samoa.
0: Missing out on this year's World Cup was a big blow to Samoa's netball community, but they are determined to fight their way back into the mix next time. However, Kim Bailey
4: says they can't do it alone. I think they're going to need some outside help, to be honest. But if they invest in their players and their coaches, there is no reason why in the future they can't have homegrown players representing their nation. It's short-term gain, really, by getting athletes from out of country in. But for the long term, they really need to do that investment. And we're doing that. We've taken courses here for our coaches to elevate them to the next level, and we've had some masterclasses as well in that high-performance space. The more that we can give them, the better that they will be able to succeed in the future and have a lot more of those players available to them, because that's what they want. They want their own people playing the game. Based on what she saw during the many classes that were held, Kim
0: Bailey says there's no shortage of talent, but it has to be nurtured.
4: There's some fantastic athletes here but they just lack some of the basic skills that are needed to get to that high-performance level. And with our high-performance courses that we've been running, we're hoping that we can deliver some of those skills to these players. Tonga is the benchmark at the moment, but the Samoans aren't going to be very far behind them. They've um, some great elevation skills, can read the play really well and extremely fast footwork. So they've got the basis to build an awesome team in the future.
0: Tonga's sudden and steep rise up the world netball rankings has been basically based very much on their recruitment of overseas-based players. And Rosemary Lomé acknowledges that Samoa will have to follow a similar path, at least in the medium term, if they want to compete in the future and attract more financial backing.
6: You look around. And you, you can see what happened with tour Samoa and even the rugby. We need to be very realistic with the game, realistic on where our players, the professionalism of the game. You do have to have strong sponsorship, both corporate and overseas uh, sponsors. So yes, it's not a new problem. It's always been around ever since we've had national teams. But what we're focusing on is making sure we continue with our development programs in country, but also staying engaged with our overseas players that would like to represent their Samoan heritage.
0: That process will gather momentum next week when APIA hosts the Samoa Netball Association Cup tournament over four days.
6: We'll be having about 400 players coming to Samoa so it's a start to see what talent we have outside of Samoa and just bringing them all together. We've got four teams that are training for our major tournament, which has attracted four Samoa Nepal associations from Australia and New Zealand. So the timing has been very good in terms of providing that expertise, helping the coaches and just helping the sport to grow in Samoa.
0: Meanwhile, another aspect Kim Bailey says netball Samoa needs to focus on is ensuring that coaches are doing the right
4: thing. The problem that I've seen is that we have coaches with no experience teaching the children here the wrong techniques. So that's what we're really concentrating on, trying to work with them and know how to do a basic pass, how to do a double dodge or a straight lead, just the really basic things that they can take back. Doing the basics well, you win games.
0: And if everything falls into place, another key to making Samoa's national teams better and stronger will be more international games. The Pacific Oz tournaments have helped considerably on that front, but Rosemary Lomé wants more opportunities to compete against teams from outside the Pacific.
6: It's a lot of work that we need to do and engage in talking to countries that would like to invite Samoa to their shores. And also it comes down to making sure we have strong sponsorship deals, building up relationships with our corporate sponsors. You know, it's the first time since 1991 that we haven't been able to participate in the World Cup. So we've already started our rebuild campaign and we'll be looking forward and looking at the lessons learned and how we can better access more international games.
0: And the good news for Netball Samoa is that Australian investment and assistance is set to continue for the foreseeable
4: future. We do have a passion for the Pacific and we do want to really concentrate on them and make them a powerhouse. To come out and see the kids improve in a small session or they take one or two things away or the coaches take one or two things away to us is a great improvement from what they had beforehand. So we will continue to be invested heavily in this region.
1: As Kim Bailey, Workforce Development Manager for Netball Australia, reflecting on her Samoan experience. And the reporter there was Marion Farr. I and mean, that's it from the sporting edition of Pacific Beat on this uh, Friday morning. Good luck to all our teams involved in various parts of the world, not least in the Rugby World Cup over the weekend. Be great to see Mano Samoa topple Argentina if at all possible. Pacific Beat back this afternoon at five past three PNG time. And then again on Monday morning at five past six with Agitupo at the helm. Pacific Beat produced on the lands of the Bunurong and Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation.